Uh, we are going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 25 through 40. You're going to need your Bible. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, then Cody and Jen would like to buy one for you. Uh, I will buy you maybe a New Testament. He'll buy you the whole Bible. Uh, so, uh, so yeah, we, we, uh, we love you guys. We love the Word of God. And uh, so we're going to be in this passage. It is a rich, thick kind of controversial, one of those passages that you raise your eyebrows to, easily taken out of context, easily um, uh, probably used poorly at at times, Uh, and so we're just going to jump straight into it. Hey, one thing we did, as you're flipping there, want to give you a heads up on is, uh, if you'll notice the QR codes on your notes on the back there, is going to have a list of all the elders and deacons, and uh, we do this um, uh, because we love you and because we believe in transparency and we want you to know that these are the deacon candidates and elder candidates. And so uh, if you're curious on that and want to be praying for these men, we'd love for you to have that information. We'd love for you to be aware and be praying for those who are, are rolling on to, uh, to the elder board and the, the deacons as well. Uh, we've got a tup- couple of incredibly godly men who are, um, are ending their term. Uh, it's, it's David White and it's Doug Wilson, two just incredibly faithful men at uh, this church who have led so well. And, at, and adding on to uh, this next term is going to be uh, Roger Lynn and Brian Dodds, who are also just incredible godly men who are exciting. Uh, it's exciting for us as a staff to get to follow those men. Um, okay, so as you get there, as you get to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, um, I'm going to read just this big chunk because I want us to really see the context of, of what's happening. And, and then we're going to spend a lot of time just chewing through it. And so if you would, um, I want you to spend some time looking at what uh, this at times difficult controversial passage uh, that I've gotten to chew on for the last couple of weeks. Here's what Paul says, starting in verse 25. Now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distresses, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you this. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have no wives live as they, for those who had wives, rather, live as they had none, and those who mourn as though they are not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. And then verse 32 on, he says, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. And his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. All right, that's where we're going this morning. It is so good and rich, and you read that though, and you just think, what is he saying? What's happening right here? Is he telling me as a married, should, should I regret that I got married? What, 
um, is should my counsel to any young adult, my counsel to my boys be, guys, hold off as long as you can. Don't be me. What is happening in this passage? There's so much to explain, and yet also something so beautiful is going to happen, I believe, through the power of the Holy Spirit, because his word doesn't return void. And that is, Paul shows us that there is something better. There is something better than marriage. There is something better than singleness. And there is this underlining theme uh, that we're going to unpack this morning that is sweet. There is excitement here. Um, there should be. If you are in this room and you are happily married and you're watching online and you're happily married, praise God. Uh, there is something here in God's word for you. Don't go ejecting your marriage. There is something powerful and very relevant for your marriage and for your soul. If you are unhappily married or you're, you're in a marriage and it feels dry and it feels stale and it feels discouraging or disillusioning, there is something so relevant and powerful and healing here in this passage. If you're single and you're content in your singleness, there is something so encouraging and worshipful. And if you are single and you are discontent and in a, in a place where you no longer want to be single, there is something so relevant and so satisfying in this passage. So uh, let's not dismiss or categorize or say, okay, well, this is about singleness. Let's just dive in. God's word won't return void. We see that in Isaiah. We see in Hebrews 4 that this is powerful and it is active and it is alive. So to better understand where we are before we can really start chopping this up, we got we to gotta talk about where we came from. And so where we've come from, uh, even in the last few weeks of studying 1 Corinthians, uh, was this. Uh, first, um, a couple of weeks ago, uh, Cody talked of this sermon where we talked about things that are out of bounds, uh, specifically the physical things in our, our life that God has said, hey, that, doesn't, that only belongs in marriage. And, and really Paul's rebuke of, hey, you're living uh, because of your sexual immorality in these out of bounds ways. Uh, and then last week we saw Paul say, this is where those things are in bounds. Those things are in bounds in a God-designed marriage, and it's this beautiful thing. And so we, we've seen that. And then even in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 7, verses 6 through 24, the passage is right before this, Paul then continues to answer these questions and give specific uh, exhortation for married couples, for, for married people, for single people, uh, and for widowed people. And then here we land at verse 25. And so that context is really important because here's what's happening. There's something better than marriage and, and we see Paul alluding to this. And so he's already talked to people about saying, hey, here's what's out of bounds. You can't do this. But in bounds in marriage, that's good. And it's God designed. And it's sweet. And it's appropriate. And it's where it belongs. Uh, and it should be encouraged in bounds. And so what you have here is people saying, well, then everyone should just hurry up and get married. Well, well okay, if we can't do that out of bounds, and if we've been living in immorality, okay, but you're saying now here is in bounds. So is the answer then marriage? Is the answer then, I need to get in bounds and marriage is going to solve my problems. Marriage has got to be my priority. And Paul is saying that marriage is not the answer in this passage. He's saying there's something better. There is something that is a greater priority. And when it is prioritized appropriately, things are healthier. So I want to get to that and this more important priority. But I don't want to rush there. I don't want to rush there uh, without really sitting with this honestly sweet but complicated text. We're not going to rush fast to application. We're going to see this passage, what it's saying, and we're going to start with this very bold and very straightforward counsel from the Apostle Paul, verses 25 through 35, where he's, he is counseling those who are singled and widowed to remain as you are. 
I mean, Paul is clearly in these 10 verses that I just read, I mean, he is giving the counsel for those who are single, for those uh, who are widowed, remain as you are. Remain as you are. And there's a couple of reasons that are really important that Paul seems to be giving this counsel. And the first reason we can see in verses 25 through 31, and so we're going to spend a good chunk of time uh, in those verses. And it's that when the Corinthian believers remained as they were, they were single, they stayed single. When they were married, they stayed married. When the Corinthian believers in the first century church that Paul's speaking to, when they stayed as they are, it kept their hearts undistracted by worldly troubles. And so by remaining where they are, one of the reasons that Paul gives this this kind of broad and bold counsel is because of this reason that it keeps their hearts undistracted by worldly troubles. Now let's look closely at this. And I might stop and start a lot because there's a lot of explaining, but it'll be good. Verse 25. Look what Paul says. Remember what he says. He says, now, concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. Okay, stop. Okay, what does he mean? Right? The word betrothed uh, literally means virgin. And so what he's referring here to is potentially a woman who has uh, remained a virgin or is promised in marriage or a man who is promised to marry a woman. Uh, and so he's talking really about people who are unmarried. That's what he means there when he says uh, betrothed. And pay attention uh, to this. It's so important. Um, because what does he mean when he says he has no command from the Lord? It's in the Bible. Like his, the whole, this whole thing is a command from the Lord. So when Paul says in verse 25, I have no command from the Lord, but here's, here's what I have to say and here's my judgment. What are we to do with that? Um, and that's really, really important because what he's telling his audience there is he's saying, hey, this issue, Right? I want to give some boundaries to this issue before I start dropping a bunch of authoritative bombs. And this issue that he's addressing here in this nuanced issue of marriage and singleness is not a black and white issue. He gives commands all throughout Scripture. Right? He, gives, uh, he gives commands to um, stop stealing. Uh, he gives commands to stop um, dragging your conflicts with other believers into uh, the public square. Uh, he gives um, commands to... Um, stop bickering in public. That, that happens all throughout here, right? To, to flee from immorality, he gives commands. But here, remain as you are, Paul is admitting, hey, this isn't a black and white, timeless truth uh, meant to be applied broadly to everyone uh, throughout history. There, this is important because it's gonna lead us to then really dig deeper to what is he saying. D- deeper than the surface of his admonition to see what is it? Point of all this. So don't miss that little line in verse 25. Don't dismiss that little line. And also don't dismiss the rest of this command he's going to give, the rest of this counsel he's going to give, because it is absolutely authoritative. It is authoritative as Paul is speaking trustworthy truth to the church, as it says in that verse. So verse 26. Verse 26 and 27. I think that in view of the present times, It is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. Let's stop there. Let me make another important observation and explain really the context that's happening here. This line, in view of the present distresses, is good. It is good for a person to remain as they are. Um, That's a really important line. And so I 
There's so much to cover this morning, so we're going to go fast, but I want to slow down on some of these key things that are important for us to understand, and that's one of them. The context of what's happening in Corinth is going to help us understand how to interpret Paul and the word of God, this authoritative uh, counsel to us. And what was happening in Corinth was persecution in a pretty uh, unprecedented way. Right? Persecution was there, and also persecution was on its way. I looked at probably about half a dozen different commentaries with biblical scholars who all had slightly different nuanced ways of how to interpret this idea of what does he mean, present distresses? What's that referring to? And people said it was persecution. People said it was uh, the, the prophetic knowledge that Paul had that a wave of persecution was about to hit in a, in a pretty seismic way. Uh, people referred to it's, it's very possibly a huge famine that was happening at the time. Uh, it's an apocalyptic event that's happening in Corinth. The point was this. There's outside persecutions that are coming. And they're there and they're on their way. And it's really important. That because of those present distresses in first century Corinth, that Paul is saying, hey, there is a wave of trouble. We're sitting, we're, we're drowning in trouble. So stay as you are. That's really important. And then look at why. He, he, he kind of explains and gives more of a caveat to that in verse 28. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles and I would spare you that. Paul here is referring, uh, it would seem, to internal conflict. So, so we see in the couple of verses before that there's external conflict as a part of the reason why he's saying, hey, your, your tensions, your, your attention is going to be distracted by worldly trouble if you get married. That worldly trouble is here and it's going to distract you. It's coming from the outside. But here he alludes to this idea of you're going to have worldly troubles internally within your marriage. Because of your marriage, it's going to produce worldly troubles in your personal life. And you're not going to hear a pastor on any of these stages at Christ Chapel ever dog marriage. It is a good gift from the Lord. So we're not going to dog marriage. That's not what this is saying. Um, marriage is good. But marriage is hard. Marriage is really hard. And hard is not bad. Hard is hard. And I'm not just saying that as a, as a husband who is a sinner, who has shortcomings, who is married to an amazing wife, who is also a sinner, who has shortcomings, to discover that ourselves of difficulties in our own personal marriage, which are there and are real, and that we continue to, to wrestle through for God's glory and figure out how to do this hard thing of two sinful people laying their life down and selfishness. That's hard. I'm not just saying it from that perspective. I'm saying it from someone who's just reading God's word. Paul tells us. We don't have to pretend it's not hard. We can be transparent. God's word says, yeah, it's okay. It's okay to admit. Marriages are hard. That's okay. Paul says it here. You can just quote him. He said, well, I, I don't, my marriage is great, but Paul says it is, so I guess, I guess I'll work on it then. Marriage is hard. Um, when I was, uh, you guys don't judge me for what I'm about to tell you, or don't judge me too badly for what I'm about to tell you. Um, a little bit of judgment is probably appropriate. When I was uh, younger, um, when I was 18, I moved overseas after I graduated, and I did missions work for a year, and then I came back as a 19-year-old um, who was on fire for Jesus, but also pretty self-righteous, and, uh, and my goal in life, man, if you would have hung out with younger Ben, um, I, my goal in life was, man, I want to live in a van 
and I want to just drive around the country and get in adventures. That was my goal in life, which is also called being a hobo, right? That's what that is technically referred to, the vernacular. But it was like, man, I'm just going to live in this van, and I'm going to drive around, and it's going to be awesome, and I'm just going to just get in adventures and walk around, and maybe I'll carry a sword just because that seemed cool for a second. And it was weird, right? It was weird. And then I met this girl named Danielle, who is now my wife, and I met this girl, and man, she ruined all that, right? And it was so sweet and so good and such a provision from God. But I started dating this girl, and she was amazing, and she's out of my league, and, and all of those things. And I just, I remember realizing this, this kind of come to Jesus moment of like, man, I can't, I can't be a bum. Like I need to provide and like protect her and do things and like not have a van, like not live in a van. Like I need to do things. And honestly, <laughs> the 19, 20 year old Ben, um, yeah, uh, it was a death to myself, right? It was a, it was a, okay, I got to stop living. This thing doesn't revolve around me. This isn't the girl you date, this is the girl you marry, and man, that is gonna come with some God-given responsibilities that I wanna take seriously. And so, yeah, so there had to be this letting go of, of my aspirations for my life. Um, praise God for that, too. Um, although I would have been a great van guy. I would have been so good at it. Right, because that's what we sign up for, right? That's what marriage is. We sign up to say, man, it is not about my desires and, and what I want anymore. I am signing up to say, I'm gonna be a picture of Christ to this person. As Christ loves the church, so a husband loves the wife. And, and so, okay, in signing up to be in a marriage in whatever role, male or female, man or woman, you enter into a godly marriage, you're signing up to say, okay, my life is no longer about me. I'm here to lay down my life for this person and and Lord willing, then they reciprocate. But even if they don't reciprocate, it's a, it's a covenant. It's not a contract. So it's not a 50-50 thing. It's a I'm all in. And that is scary and that is hard. It's a laying down of selfishness. One more observation Paul explains further in, in this, just in this kind of first passage we've been tackling. Look at verse 29. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealing with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. There is so much to be said here uh, and not enough time, but I want to put this in front of you uh, for, from what Paul is saying here. We can't ignore the urgency that Paul keeps ever before his disciples. I mean, Paul does this consistently throughout all his letters. He is so good at it. He has his eyes set, his lens tuned in to eternal things. The apostle keeps that perspective so well here, right? Jesus is returning. Jesus is returning. And when Jesus returns, he is coming as king and he is coming as judge, the point is clear. Married folks are easily distracted. That's what it's saying. Hey, married folks are really easily distracted and easily lose sight of an eternal perspective for the time is short. And the time being short is a death sentence to those who don't know Christ. It is a death sentence to those who don't know Christ. He's coming back. And Paul is trying to make sure 
We don't lose sight of that. He is coming. The time is short. Don't get distracted. If you're married, you're so easily distracted. Let me tell you honestly how much a time, or just give you a ballpark, of how much time in this last maybe month or season um, I've gotten to spend on focusing on those who are not in Christ. I would humbly, but honestly, say I have probably spent an above average amount of time on it. In, in preparing what, what I get to do around here, in my role, in praying for, for neighbors and praying for friends. Um, my heart beats for the person on the outside. Um, it beats fast for that. And I would say, I, especially in this season, as we're ramping up to reach young adults and college students and whoever God puts in front of us, my heart beats fast for that. And I would say I spend an above average amount of time caring and my energy and my prayer toward the lost, towards those who it is a death sentence because they don't know Christ, but he's coming back. Now, if you were to ask me, okay, great, how much time do you spend on the worldly troubles of your immediate family, right? Getting my kids out the door and packing their bags and and helping my wife who just started an incredible full-time job and supporting that and her supporting me and and other responsibilities and kids and this and that. and, and, And I would say, even though I spend a good amount, I would say it's 20 times more. 20 times more time and energy do I spend on just the immediate head down just trying to stay afloat, urgent life of football games start next Saturday, and then the Saturday after that, my son will start soccer at the same time as my other, and then this, I mean, that is her life, and we're doggy paddling to do that, and, and so easily distracted, and Paul's saying there's so many distractions built in to this good thing of marriage, but so many distractions built in, and he's saying the time is short. There is an eternal perspective that we are getting distracted and losing sight of. That is why Paul is giving this counsel. It's important, and we are easily distracted. But also, Paul's about to make the point that remaining as you are keeps your heart undivided to the Lord. So it's not just that we are distracted in this section we see. It's also that we can easily become divided. But, but here he says, if you remain as you are, you're going you're to remain undivided. And there is a difference between undivided and undistracted. Let me show you. Verse 32 through 35. I want you to be free from anxieties, he says. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man, he's anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. And his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about the worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. He wants us to be free from anxieties. And even in this passage, we see, I mean, we start to see this idea of where really anxieties come from. Certainly here is anxieties come from an idea of an allegiance that's been divided. Right When my allegiance is divided is really the, the root issue of why I could become anxious. Um, let's say I've got a bunch of bills that all of a sudden hit us. And all of a sudden we got all these bills that we weren't counting on and weren't planning on. And they're starting to pile up. And all of a sudden my allegiance has become divided to say, okay, um, I need to be in control of this and solve this problem in my own strength and flesh. Or I, I seek the kingdom of God and look at how he takes care of the bear, the, the 
birds and the flowers of the field and I trust God as my ultimate provider and I work hard toward that. Or no, I just need to grit my teeth and do it and then maybe I'll check in with God later. My allegiance becomes undivided when those circumstances start to show in a spotlight on it. Um, so many people, anxieties rise with public speaking, right? Next week, um, I get the opportunity. We will have our college service back up. So Christ Chapel, you guys built a coffee shop, a building, a college building across the street from TCU. And next Sunday, hundreds of college students are going to show up into that building. And I get to stand up there and I get to preach the gospel to them. It's one of my favorite things I get to do. But I, I'll tell you right now, I'll confess to you right now, there is an allegiance that will wage in my soul that I'll have to kill and submit and and repent from that will say, I want to preach the gospel and I want to see life change and I want to just take God's word and put it before these college students and I want these seeds to be planted and change the trajectory of their life and their souls or I want these college kids to think I'm cool. I want them to like me. I'm not cool. I used to be relatively cool. I don't live in a van. I don't do that. I didn't end up cool. I ended up really happy but not cool. And, and, and there's that war, I mean, that people-pleasing in us becomes this anxiety because our allegiance is audience of one, this is for you, my king, or, oh man, I want this to succeed. I want my business plan to work. I want these people to like me. I want to, to be praised for whatever it is. Our allegiances being divided produce anxieties. Those who are married, their allegiances are going to be naturally divided in the design of marriage. But that's not, a, that's not a bad thing. It's a reality. It's a reality. Their priorities and devotion to the Lord are going to be divided. Church, let's say, let's say I lived in Afghanistan. And I got my kids on the couch with my wife. And somebody comes and knocks on the door. And it's persecutors. And I know who it is. And I go and open the door. And you go and you open the door. And they're asking questions, and they're making accusations. You're a follower of Christ. And I have a choice there. My, don't tell me that my allegiances won't be massively divided in that moment. The, the amount of troubles, the current reality in that place, in that context, in Afghanistan, to be able to be a father, to stand at that door, being asked questions, and having my kids and my wife praying for them to go away. I, my allegiances, I'll tell you right now, would be really divided. I know what I would want to say. I know what I would want to say, I trust the Lord. He is my ultimate provider. He is my ultimate protector. I'm going to keep my eyes fixed on you. And Lord, do your will. Protect us. But God, here's who I am. But I know my allegiances will be, I got to do whatever it takes, whatever it takes. Say whatever it takes to protect my kids, my wife. My allegiances are divided. My focus is divided. It is and, and that is this tension of the responsibility that we have as husbands or wives or parents, the ways that we divide our attention in, hear me, really great ways, really good opportunities that come with weighty responsibilities. But Paul is saying, that's why Paul is saying, hey, because of what's going on, it is better for you to remain as you are. I wouldn't blame him. I wouldn't blame him. This is why Paul counsels the first century Corinthian church to remain as they are. There is so much at stake. He does give a couple of caveats in verse 36 through 34, and we won't have time to unpack all this, but I want to briefly reference it um, because it's in that section um, where Paul gives counsel of those facing unique circumstances, and he tells them marriage is permitted but not 
preferred. So he, he kind of allows them this, this caveat. He says, okay, it's not, it's not preferred, but it's permitted. And so I'm going to read quickly verses 36 through 40. If anyone thinks that he's not behaving properly towards his betrothed, if his passions are strong and it has to be, let him do as he wishes. Let them marry. It's no sin. But whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, but having his desire under control, and has determined this in his heart to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. So then he who marries his betrothed does well, and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. Verse 39, a wife is not bound to her husband, a wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes only in the Lord. Yet in my judgment, she is happier if she remains as she is, and I think that I too have the Spirit of God. Like I said, for the sake of time, we won't be able to unpack all this. Praise God that you have a Bible uh, and the Holy Spirit if you're in Christ to be able to continue to study this because they're so rich. But I want you to at least see this. Paul's making a couple of concessions here, which I think really help make the point that there is this deeper theme throughout all of this. He's saying, yeah, it's not preferred, but it is permissible. 36 through 38 seems to be making an argument for those who are engaged. Okay, you're already engaged. You may go ahead and and get married, permission there. 39 through 40, okay, you, you've been widowed, permission to remarry. It might not be better, but I understand being a widow in this, in this context was, um, was just economically hopeless uh, for someone. It, a real interesting textual note that I won't really spend time on, but in some translations, if you have uh, the NASB or the NIV Bible, some translations actually make verses 36 through 38, it actually talks about a father and a daughter, not an engaged couple. It's really interesting. Uh, I'm not going to nerd out on it here, but we can grab coffee later and I can talk to you about it. it it's just really interesting. It, it doesn't necessarily change the point because the point is still, hey, I'm giving concessions. Paul's giving his, his self concessions. He's giving his people concessions because it's not a black and white issue. And because, listen to this, there is something deeper driving all of this. There's something deeper that has been driving all of this. Do you see it? It's it's a universal command, right, here in the Scripture. It's not a universal command to stay single for those who are single. It's not an assault on marriage to produce some sort of regret for those who are married. It's verse 35. Look at verse 35 with me again. He, he defines, look at what's happening in Scripture. Look at, look at this interesting argument and look, look why I'm saying it. I say this for your own benefit. Not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. Verse 35 is the key to understanding what is Paul doing here? Black and white, it's okay to get married, but here is what he's saying. The world was falling down around the Corinthian believers. There's out of bounds, right? And then there's this inbounds in marriage of, of, how, of how these gifts that God has given could play out. And so marriage must be the driving priority, right? And he says, no, no, marriage isn't the point. Marriage isn't the savior. Marriage isn't the priority or the focus. There's something better. Prioritize Christ. Undivided devotion to the Lord. That's the point. At all costs, whatever it takes, whatever circumstance you're in, how do you get yourself to a place where you can have your devotion to him? There is this timeless truth applicable to everybody in this room, everyone watching on the internet campus. Wherever you are in life, either married or single, maximize your devotion to the Lord. 
That's what he's saying. This is not just about stay single or stay married or... Ultimately, this is about maximize your devotion to the Lord. And the case study just happened to be about marriage in this first century context with a lot of persecution. But the point is timeless. How do you maximize your devotion? That's what we're designed for. How do you do that? Now, devotion is this idea of a wholehearted pursuit. 100% in. Not a piece of the pie. Not Jesus has the largest piece of the pie. But a wholehearted pursuit of Christ. And Paul asks, is it Jesus? Is it Christ? Paul is pointing out that even good things, right, good things like marriage, right, they can divide our devotion. Are we more devoted to our jobs and our careers than we are to Christ? Are we more all in in our workplace than we are in our walks with Jesus Christ? Are we we more all in? Are we more devoted to our kids? Again, good things. But have they become the priority in our life? Have we made them sitting on the throne? And and what are we teaching them when we do that as parents? Maybe it's our image, that, that we are devoted to our image. Maybe it's, that, maybe it's that we're devoted to, to what we want and our selfishness. It can be good things, it can be bad things, but our hearts get out of whack so easily. And Paul calls us back in, whatever it takes, be devoted. Christ wants all of it. And so there's some diagnostic questions we put there on the notes uh, for you to just look at and read. And between you and the Lord, spend some time this next week just asking yourself some of those questions Just ask yourself, am I following the Lord or am I pursuing worldly ideals? Where's my time? Where's my resources going? Is it for the Lord? Is God just kind of a piece of the pie? Am I looking to obey the Lord or am I tangled up in anxieties? Where are my allegiances? Maybe talk to the Lord and identify, are there a lot of anxieties? And if there are a lot of anxieties that you're walking in, okay, well, maybe that's a red flag that reveals, hey, there's there's some devotion that, isn't focused on the right spot, or am I fulfilled by the Lord, or am I seeking satisfaction in a spouse? Whether that's the idea of a spouse, for those who are single, or the spouse that you have, you're finding your satisfaction in your husband or in your wife. That great lie from Jerry Maguire that you complete me. They're not designed to complete us. They're designed to push us to the only one who can really complete us. That's what marriage is. My wife is not my completion. I am not her completion. So where do we go from here? Two two places, uh, two two application points. Um, First is this. We have got to identify and avoid the traps of the world. Those traps that distract and divide our attention, that steal our devotion from the Lord, those things that Paul warns about, certainly here he's making this huge case for, for marriage and the betrothed and the engagement process. But, but where are those traps that steal your attention from the Lord? Hey, if you, if you are single, if you're single, let me just talk to you for, for a second. If you're single and you desire that, first of all, it's not lost on me that a pastor who's married to an amazing woman uh, and has two beautiful kids sitting here telling you 
hey, singleness is great. I get it. I get it. That's hard to swallow. Um, so don't take it from me. Right? Take it from God's word. That God's saying, hey, there is something better. Even in your singleness, even if that's not what you desire, even if you desire a wife, you desire that companionship, you desire a husband, you desire that companionship, it's a good thing. God's saying, yes, but trust me, there is still something better. That is not the end goal. Want a marriage? Want a marriage? Then pursue it. Pursue it. But pursue him first and foremost. Let him drive that. Move towards marriage with that perspective. It's okay to desire what is good and what God has said is good. But, but do we idolize it? Do we idolize it? Because that's when it becomes worldly trouble. Is marriage the key? The Bible says no. No, it isn't. And so prioritize correctly. You might not be content in your singleness. You really might. And I understand that. And that's a safe and okay place to be. But you can be satisfied in Christ. There are things to do. There is a work to be done right now. You are not sitting powerless waiting for the solution to come. You right now can be a part of what God's doing. You can chase after Christ in a devoted way. That is what this text is, is referring to. Now, married couples, um, man, let's say you're married, man. There's so many traps to avoid here. There's the busyness that we talked about and the sports and the kids and good things. But there's also traps to avoid in the, the good things, but also in those marriages that um, man, just feel stale right now in this season. We love you. We know this marriage is hard. And it feels stale and it feels, maybe you feel discouraged Maybe you feel really disillusioned. It wasn't what you thought you were signing up for or it used to be, and now it's not. We get that. And Paul says, yeah, that's a part of the reality. It's going to be hard. It's going to be really hard. But don't give up. Don't give up, and you have something better right now at your fingertips. Maybe you can't control him or you can't control her, but you can control your walk with Christ. You can chase hard after this God who offers more of himself, to be devoted. We are not designed to be generators, to fuel and give life to the other person that we're married to in a marriage that doesn't work. We'll just drain each other. That's not how it works. We're designed to be conduits who are connected to another source and connected to each other. And so we're encouraging. But if you find yourself in a marriage or in a season of marriage that you feel just discouraged, be encouraged that there is a source out there that you have been offered if you are in Christ Jesus to hold on to. And then holding on to your spouse as well and being a conduit to that and running towards Jesus and finding satisfaction and finding joy. Last thing is this. Cultivate a love for Jesus. Avoid the traps, but also cultivate a love for Jesus. You are loved, right? Even, even through all of the, the trials and all of the, the hard things that we go through, we have a God who says, I will provide, I am trustworthy in good seasons and bad seasons. And so God's word is telling us, okay, we've got work to do. We can cultivate this love for Jesus. I can invest, I can spend time in my walk with Christ. The things that I can't control, I have to lay at his feet. The things I can control is a God who says, come to me. No matter where you are, because of Christ Jesus, he says, come to me. 
and I will take your burden and I will take your load and I will make it light and I will carry it. Run towards that God. Be encouraged, be challenged. Let me pray. Father, we love you. And we're grateful for how you love us. We're grateful for your word, God, that doesn't return void. We're grateful for the richness of even just this section of scripture, God, and how at the end of the day, Lord, you want our devotion. You care about our devotion. At the end of the day, our marriages aren't designed to be the end-all, be-all. Father, would you protect my brothers and sisters who are single and are chasing after what is a good thing? Would you protect them that they wouldn't chase after that good thing as the ultimate thing? They'd be able to walk out of here encouraged that there is work to be done in their walks. And God, for our marriages, that they would be encouraged that no matter where they find themselves in this season, you can be our source. You are our satisfaction. Will we draw near to you in the name of Jesus? Amen.